Great to be with you guys today. Great to be at Groton Bible Chapel. Uh, this church has been such an encouragement to me personally and also to my church up in Lynn, Massachusetts. Um, as Mike said, I grew up in Westerly, Westerly High School. Uh, my mom actually taught for over 30 years at Fitch Junior High School, which is closed down now, but maybe some folks went there. My dad worked at EB, Electric Boat, for uh, over 25 years. And as Mike said, I became a Christian through the youth ministry of Andy Bonner, my high school social studies teacher at Westerly High School, and also Camp Berea. Um, that's where I made, made my commitment to Jesus Christ uh, at Berea. Um, but I've lived away from Rhode Island and Connecticut for a bit of time now. And it's just so exciting for me to be reconnected in this area and reconnected with Groton Bible Chapel especially. Tell you a little bit more about myself. I got a picture of the family here. So um, on the far left is my oldest daughter, Georgia. She lives in New York City. And then just to her, to her right is Molly. She is a senior at Montana State University in Bozeman. Great place to go to school. Um, and in the middle, that's my son in the tux and his new wife, Emma. Uh, they live in Somerville, Mass. And then uh, right next to me, that's Charlotte. That's the baby of the family. She's a freshman way out in Santa Barbara, California, Westmont College. Uh, that's my family. Uh, a sad thing I know many of you know about a uh, real, real difficult thing is that my wife, Allison, died just last November, about a year ago, of colon cancer. She was diagnosed at age 54. Um, and we really miss her a lot. Uh, but we know that she is with Jesus. She had a strong faith in Jesus Christ. And I just want to thank you during that journey. Uh, this church prayed for me and my family. And I just want to thank you for that. And just testify that with God's strength and presence in our lives, he's helping us walk through this valley. But as uh, Mike said, I serve as pastor at Washington Street Baptist Church. It's a 170-year-old congregation, uh, old church, right in the center, right in the downtown of Lynn, Mass., uh, which is a city of about 100,000 people, just maybe 10 miles north of Boston. And Lynn is what is known as a gateway city. It's a gateway city for people new to the country, immigrants, refugees. Uh, roughly 40% of the people in our city were born outside the United States. In fact, the high school, one of the high school classes, this last senior class had 55 nations represented just in the one high school senior class. Uh, 70 nations in total in our city. But I did, I moved from a very different environment. I lived in Newburyport, Mass. I served a church there for 14 years. And Newburyport, it's, uh, it's a lot like Mystic, a wealthy seaport town. Um, lots of fruitful ministry there. But God called me right in the beginning of the uh, pandemic in 2020 to make the step back to the city. I just felt that call to get back in the urban environment and serve in this small multi-ethnic congregation uh, with a really big heart. And I would say that serving in Lynn, uh, there is never a dull moment at all. It is a very vibrant place to serve Jesus and I love it. But in the fall of 2021, I actually checked my phone yesterday when Mike first texted me. Mike uh, and the missions team here at Groton Bible Chapel, they reached out to me just out of the blue. I loved it. And that's when the Lynn uh, Groton partnership was born. 
And it, it really, in a short amount of time, it has become such an important partnership. Uh, we started with church work days. And where our first work day was, a bunch of you came up and emptied our basement of our church and filled two 30-yard dumpsters. They're the largest dumpsters you can get. And we completely filled those. Uh, you've also helped uh, just a few weeks ago demo some old nasty ceilings. And uh, you've helped rebuild our stairs and our tower. Um, I've learned about GBC that you guys, you guys love dirty jobs. <laughs> Definitely. There's no dirty job that's off limits. So I want to thank you for that. But also our vacation Bible school. What a thrill. We had 57 kids come and a lot of kids in the city, they, they can't, it's just not going to work for them to get out of the city. It's all the paperwork you got to fill out to go to a camp, even the parents, it's difficult to do. But you guys brought summer camp to our, our city and it was so awesome. Our kids, it was the best week of their summer, they said. And um, just love Rebecca Schilke and the 11 volunteers that came. They just did an awesome job. You guys actually, during your VBS, took up a collection for our kids, for our youth ministry. You raised, the kids of Groton Bible Chapel raised over $4,000 and that's helping us get our youth ministry going. Uh, and just a few weeks ago, a team was up at our Faith in Blue event where we partner with the Lynn Police Department and do this um, faith, church, police partnership just to build goodwill. And uh, it was wonderful to have you guys there. So this church, I just want to say, has greatly helped us. And we are so thankful for your prayers, for your support, for your encouragement, uh, for your help in this challenging work of building the kingdom of God in a poor immigrant city. And, and I know, Lynn, it's not too far away. It's just two hours up the road or even maybe less. Sometimes you guys make it less than that. So it's straight up. Straight up, um, but it's a different world in some respects. So I just want to thank this church for being all in. Um, I want to thank you for having the boldness and the courage to, you know, maybe get outside your comfort zone a little bit and serve Jesus together with us. The Christian life uh, following Jesus, no matter where you live, takes a bit of boldness and courage, doesn't it? Wouldn't you say? Boldness, confidence in speaking about Jesus in a world that, uh, quite frankly, is not always interested. How easy it can be to just be silent, to be scared of what people think of us. It takes boldness and courage to resist that peer pressure in, in school or the military when everybody else is doing it. But you choose not to do it. It takes boldness and courage to jump out and help somebody in trouble, somebody who's in need, uh, to deny yourself maybe what you want to be doing right then um, and make a sacrifice. Where does that boldness, where does that confidence, where does that courage come from for the Christian life? Well, if you turn with me in your Bibles to Acts chapter 4, um, I know you guys have been following through the book of Acts this fall. Uh, Acts is the uh, first 30 years of the church. And if you remember, Acts is written by Luke. He's also the writer of the Gospel of Luke. And the book of Acts, it, it shows us um, the DNA of the early church, the, the fundamental pieces of the early church. It's community life. Uh, it's prayer life. It's mighty deeds and acts through the power of the Holy Spirit. 
And uh, it's constant lifting up of the name of Jesus. The early church was all about Jesus. It was all about pointing people to Jesus, the Savior. Well, this morning as we read Acts 4, uh, we're going to see some of the opposition. We're going to see some of the challenges, again, of what the church faced. And we're going to see their boldness, uh, especially in speaking about Jesus and obeying him. But we're also, uh, this morning, we're going to find the secret to their boldness. How you and I can have that same boldness and courage as we live for Jesus today. Let's pray first as we begin. Lord, I just thank you for your word this morning. I thank you for the, for the scriptures. Lord, I thank you for your grace and love and for the Holy Spirit. God, I pray that you would help each of us here to hear your voice today. And Lord, to hear your call for us to follow you in this world. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, Acts 4. Break out your Bibles if you got it. You can just listen to me and uh, I'm going to read this morning. Acts chapter 4, beginning with verse 1. The priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. If you remember, uh, back in Acts chapter 3, Peter and John, they heal a crippled man. They heal a beggar. And Peter then speaks to the crowd uh, that it is by the name of Jesus. It's not Peter doing this. It's the name of Jesus. It's the resurrected Jesus that this man has been healed. Uh, but the religious leaders are not happy. They are greatly disturbed. They're exasperated. They're ticked off. Uh, Luke tells us it is the priests, uh, the captain of the temple guard, that's the chief police of the chief uh, of police of the temple, and the Sadducees who are upset. The Sadducees, remember, they were the ruling body in Jerusalem. Uh, they wanted to keep things calm. That's how they liked it. Why? So they could stay in power. So they can stay in good graces with the Romans. And the Sadducees, the thing about them is they did not believe in the resurrection of the dead. They're not even willing to consider the idea. All three of these groups, the priests, uh, uh, the police, the rulers, they're upset about what's happening. So what do they do? They arrest Peter and John and they put them in jail for the evening. What do we see here? We see good stuff happening in the early church. We see people being healed. We see Jesus being lifted up, but immediately there's opposition. Uh, when God blesses, Satan shows up to oppose the good. Isn't that how it happens so often? Ephesians 6 tells us that our battles, they're not really against people. They're not really against flesh and blood. They're against Satan and the spiritual forces of evil, the powers, the authorities who are against God. Uh, th that is our real opposition. And like the early church friends, we can expect opposition for our faith in Christ. 
Friends, Satan doesn't want you to follow Jesus. He doesn't. He doesn't want you to live for God. He doesn't want you to grow a godly family. He doesn't want you to be his witness, Jesus' witnesses. He doesn't want to see a vibrant church here in Groton no, or in Lynn. But even here, I love it, verse 4, we see that the devil's work does not succeed. Verse 4, but many who heard the message believed, and the number of men grew to about 5,000. Let's keep reading, continuing with verse 5. Luke writes, The next day the rulers, elders, and teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Annas the high priest was there, and so were Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and the other men of the high priest's family. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. By what power or what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a cripple and are asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. He is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the capstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. Bold speech, wouldn't you say, Peter? Believe it or not, this group of rulers and elders uh, is the same group that gathered just a few months earlier. Possibly they're in the very same room where they interrogated Jesus before the crucifixion. But now it's Peter and John's turn. And Peter explains how this crippled man was healed, uh, that it was by the name of Jesus. It was Jesus who healed this man, this Jesus whom they had rejected and put to death. This Jesus uh, whom salvation is found in no one else, Peter says, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. Bold speech, would you say? Like the early church, we must speak boldly of Jesus also. What does that mean that salvation is found in no one else? That there's no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved? Well, friends, that is the Christian message. That is the gospel. God created us. He created every human being for a relationship with him. He created us uh, to to know him, to trust him, to enjoy him, to, to walk with him forever, for eternity. But we went our own way. We went apart from him. <laughs> and the Bible calls that sin. Pride, independence, disregard for God and his way. Sin is a fact for every human being on this planet. And because of that sin, the Bible teaches that we are separated from God. Our, our sin separates us from a holy God for eternity. But God chose to save us from that. I know that word save, it can be trivialized, made fun of in our culture. But actually, it's a serious word. It's real. God chose to rescue us, to help us, to save us from an eternity of separation from hell. John 3.16, 
For God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. And our job, it's simply to believe in Jesus, to to trust in him and his plan to save us. The Bible says there's no other plan. There is no other plan. All other religions, they are man's plan to try and get to God. Jesus is God's plan. God's plan to get to us and save us. There's no other plan. And our job is to lift up Jesus, to to tell people about Jesus, to, to point people to the Savior. We must speak boldly, friends, of Jesus. We must speak boldly of Jesus. But it's not easy, especially in our American culture, especially our New England culture. I've lived in this New England area for almost all my life. I listened to a podcast a while back uh, where the speaker talked about Christianity in the United States. And he said from the the best surveys that are out there, probably 25% of Americans have a personal faith in Jesus. Uh, 25% of Americans personally believe that Jesus died for their sins and they are trying to follow him. They're trying to live for him. You know, things like read their Bible, pray, band together with other believers and follow Jesus. And of that 25%, half are Protestants and half are born again Catholics. But 75% of Americans indicate that they do not have a personal faith. And more and more, uh, people, especially millennials and Gen Z, uh, they're actually saying they have no faith at all. And you might have heard it. It's called the rise of the nuns, (laughs) the N-O-N-E-S. And the nuns are people who, when they fill out a survey, they check off none when asked if they have a religion. 75% of Americans without a personal faith in Jesus Christ. People who are decent, they're hardworking, they're really likable people. But people separated from God and his love because they have not trusted in Jesus as their savior. Friends, I believe God wants to use you and me. He wants to use this church. He wants to use other Christ-centered churches all over New England to speak boldly of Jesus. Like the early church, we must speak boldly of Jesus. Why? Peter tells us because salvation is found in no one else. For there's no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. So question for you. When was the last time that you talked to someone about faith in Jesus? You had the guts to bring it up, to talk about faith and to talk about Jesus. When was the last time that you pointed someone to the Savior? We must speak boldly, but we must obey God boldly as well. Let's keep reading. Acts 4, verse 13. Luke writes, he says, When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished. And they took note that these men had been with Jesus. 
But since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. So they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin and then conferred together. What are we going to do with these men, they asked. Everybody living in Jerusalem knows they've done an outstanding miracle and we can't deny it. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn these men to speak no longer to anyone in this name. Then they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, Judge for yourselves whether it is right in God's sight to obey you rather than God. For we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. After further threats, they let them go. They could not decide how to punish them because all the people were praising God for what had happened. For the man who was miraculously healed was over 40 years old. These religious leaders, they are blown away by Peter and John. Uh, Peter and John, they're unschooled. And that doesn't mean they're illiterate. It just means they, di they didn't have the proper rabbinic training. They're ordinary laymen, but they had been with Jesus. What strikes the religious leaders is their boldness, their courage. But instead of believing the miracle where the evidence was literally right before their eyes, they choose to avoid the facts. They, they don't seek the truth. And instead, to stop this thing from spreading, they try and silence the church. Verse 18 again. Then they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. What's Peter and John's response? Verse 19. But Peter and John replied, Judge for yourself whether it's right in God's sight to obey you rather than God. For we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. Bold faith, bold, obedient faith. Jesus had commanded Peter and John in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Uh, actually, Jesus commanded all of us that we're to be his witnesses. That's what he tells us. And Peter knows in his heart that he must obey God rather than men. And like the early church, we must boldly obey God. One of my favorite movies is the movie Hacksaw Ridge. Anybody remember that? Came out a few years ago. I loved it. It's the true story, actually, of the young Desmond Dawes who joined the army in 1942 in, uh, during World War II. But Desmond, he joins the army as a Christian and a pacifist. He refused to use a gun. And he joined because he wanted to be a medic. He wanted to help people in the medical world based on his faith and his personal convictions. And at first, as you watch the movie, it causes big problems for the army. They actually try to court-martial him, but they change their minds. And Desmond goes on to serve in the Pacific and he earns the, the Medal of Honor for his heroism in rescuing injured men on the battlefield. Western society uh, for a long time has allowed this conscientious objection, that's what they call it that it's okay to refuse to do something because you morally object to it. Uh, the military still allows it today. They allow for conscientious objectors, people who refuse to fight in wars due to religious grounds. Hospital, medical clinics uh, often allow doctors and nurses to opt out of performing abortions based on convictions. You see it in the Bible. Uh, the midwives in Exodus 2 
who rather than giving uh, baby Moses to the Egyptians to be killed, uh, they hide him in the reeds, uh, following their conscience and obeying God, not men. Probably the most famous uh, passage in the, in the Bible on this, uh, or one of the most famous, is Daniel. Do you remember Daniel? How he disregards the king's rule in Daniel chapter 6. The king says, you know, nobody can pray. Immediately when he hears the rule, he goes to his window and he prays in an open window for everyone to see. He, was, he wanted to obey God, not men. Martin Luther King Jr. during the civil rights movement, he was arrested 29 times. He was put in jail because he chose to obey God rather than the unjust laws of man. When is it legitimate? When is following the dictates of your conscience legitimate and not a cop-out, not an escape? Well, Warren Wearsby, a pastor, he gives four criteria. I want to share those with you. The first is this. A person has to have a clear message from God of what is right and wrong. And here in Acts 4, uh, Peter and John, they know what is God's will. Jesus has told them to speak about him. So to not speak, to not be his witnesses, it would be wrong. Second, a person must desire to obey God in all areas of their life, not just this one particular area. So there's no selective obedience, rather total obedience. Third, the person desires to obey because it's right, not because of safety or comfort, not uh, to avoid facing something difficult. And fourth, the person must act with respect and honor to those authorities he or she is under. Uh, scripture tells us in Romans 13, other passages, that, that we're to respect and obey the civil authorities. But those times when we must obey God, uh, not men, uh, scripture says we still need to show respect. We still need to show high regard because these are authorities that God has put over us. And I was in the Navy and what they would always tell us is you salute the bars, not necessarily the person. You know, you salute those bars, the authority. Well, you see all these criteria here, don't you? With Peter and John, you have a clear word from God. God Jesus has called them to be witnesses. Uh, you see a desire in them to obey God fully in all areas of their life. A desire to obey God because it's right, not because it's safe or comfortable. It's actually the opposite here for Peter and John. And they act with respectful language and behavior. This is something actually that all of us will face. Your boss tells you to fudge or adjust the numbers at work. It's happened to me before. Um, do you obey God or do you obey your boss? What do you do? Your friends at school, they want you to get drunk or use drugs with them. Um, do you obey God that your body is the temple of God? Or do you obey your peers? Your parents ridicule you for using your hard-earned money to give to the poor or to the work of a Christian ministry. Uh, do you obey God and, and what he says about your finances or do you obey your parents? As followers of Jesus, uh, if we are to live a bold, confident faith, a, a faith that the early church had, we today must obey boldly. Boldly 
speak of Jesus instead of staying silent. Boldly obeying God rather than men. How did they do that? How did these guys do this? I mean, you look at the early church, you look at Peter and John and the others, uh, their bold faith in Jesus, and you stand back and you say, you know, where did that come from? Where did they get that confidence? How did they do that? What's the secret here? Well, we find the secret right here in Acts 4. Let me read it to you. Acts 4, verse 23. On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers gather together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform miraculous signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant Jesus. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. <laughs> What's their secret? They band together, they pray, and they draw strength from the Holy Spirit. After Peter and John are released, what do they, what do, they do? Did you notice? Do they go out and brag? Do they go out and celebrate? No, what do they do? Huh. They get together and they pray. They talk to God. They address him as sovereign Lord, creator, revealer. They, they worship God as the great I am, the ruler of all. But notice, they do not pray for protection. They do not pray for their circumstances to be changed. They do not pray for an end to this opposition. They don't pray for fire to rain down on these religious leaders, the Sadducees. What do they pray for? For God to consider them and for God to give them power and strength and boldness to speak of Jesus and to keep loving people and healing people in Jesus' name. That's the secret. The secret to their boldness. They depend on God. They, they seek God together and they ask him for the strength, for the power to live for him and to bear, and to bear witness to Jesus. And God answers their prayer. Verse 31, after they prayed, the place where they were, they were meeting was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. <laughs> Uh, this remarkable filling of the Holy Spirit, it occurs again and as it will happen again and again and again. Philip Brooks writes this. He says, do not pray for easy lives. Pray to be stronger men and women. Do not pray for tasks equal to your power. Pray for power equal to your tasks. Uh, 
Do not pray for easy lives. Pray to be stronger men and women. Do not pray for tasks equal to your power. Pray for power equal to your tasks. Friends, just as the early church did, we must band together, we must pray and ask God for strength through his Holy Spirit. How about in your family? Do you pray for each other? Do you pray for each other in your family? That God would use you at school, that he would use you at work in your neighborhood to love others and to lift up the name of Jesus. How about here at Groton Bible Chapel in the groups that gather each week or uh, monthly? Sure, it's good to pray for health issues. Uh, It's good to pray for those work conflicts, for those financial difficulties. But do you also pray for each other that God would help you to be his witnesses and, and to lift up his name? We have lots of needs within our churches. I know, I've been a pastor for a number of years. And they're all important. All of those needs are important. But as we pray for them, we must also pray for boldness. We must pray for confidence and courage to be a light here in the Groton area and in Lynn and in other places that God would continue to do mighty acts so that people without Jesus would come to know him. Where I live, uh, there's lots of darkness, <laughs> lots of darkness. And I know there's plenty of it here too in the Groton area and in our world, right? You can feel it. Up in Lynn, we just had a drug bust a couple weeks ago, about a half a mile from my house. The police in the basement of a regular old house found 10 million fentanyl pills, 10 million In September, uh, three people were shot and killed in my city due to gang violence. And one was an 18-year-old. He was going to go to college the next day, away to college. It was just a few blocks up from my church. There's much poverty. There's much uh, inequity in my city. And it can be scary um, and make you want to stay inside your house and just hunker down. And to tell you the truth, that's how I feel sometimes. But three weeks ago, we had a prayer walk in Lynn. Uh, We had about 300 Christians gather at the city hall and almost all of them were first and second generation immigrants. And we walked together to the town commons and we sang as we walked and we all had flashlights or phone lights on. And then several of us pastors prayed for the city of Lynn and prayed for Jesus to shine through us. When Jesus' light shines, the darkness cannot overcome it. (laughs) So I want to thank you, Groton Bible Chapel. I want to thank you for your courage and your boldness to shine the light of Jesus here in Groton. And I want to thank you for helping us, partner with us, to shine his light up in Lynn. It means a lot. (laughs) Let's pray together. Jesus, we just thank you again this morning, Lord, for your love, for your grace, for the hope that we have in you, Lord. And I thank you for the power of the Holy Spirit that is available to every believer in you. Lord, you know what this life is like. Jesus, you lived here 
You know how this world can be a tough place, Lord, in our workplaces, our schools, our neighborhoods. And Lord, it can be easy to, to meld in. Lord, to bow to the pressures around us and Lord, never bring you up. But I, Lord, I, I pray for boldness. I pray for courage for all of us, myself included, Lord. Lord, that courage and boldness that only you can give. Lord, we can't manufacture that ourselves. But Lord, you can give it to us through your spirit. Lord, we thank you for the example here in Acts 4. Lord, this early church. And Lord, like them, Lord, help us, each of us, to speak boldly and to obey you boldly. Lord, I pray for this church. I pray for my church. I pray for all the Christ-centered churches here in New England. Lord, that you would give us strength and power, Lord, your strength and power to lift up your name and to help us love people, Lord, to do those good deeds that point people to the Savior. Jesus, this is all for you. And we pray in your name. Amen. Amen. Thank you very much. Great to be with you this morning.